Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. See, obedience is a huge marker of a person's love for God. Now, oftentimes we hear people say, well, I love God, but they disregard his word. They ignore his word. Well, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The person who loves me shows it by keeping my commandments. The person who doesn't keep my commandments doesn't love me. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 12, verses 29 through 33, in a message titled, The Great Commandment. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are in Mark chapter 12, once again, and we are in this this last week of the public ministry of Jesus. We're in this place where there's a lot of contention occurring. The religious leaders are pulling out all the stops, and they're, they're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to turn public opinion against him. And so they, they keep coming with these different kinds of things. And as we now read together here today, the Sadducees, they come with this hypothetical situation about a woman who married a man and he died. And then her, uh, she married his brother and he died. And all the way through seven brothers, because the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. So the Sadducees were really the theological liberals of the day. They didn't believe so much in the supernatural. And so for them, the resurrection was just that they just were not gonna buy the idea of a resurrection. And and this is where the Pharisees and the Sadducees would contend theologically against one another. And so the Pharisees have had their go at Jesus. And now the Sadducees come and they're trying to trip him up with this hypothetical situation. And as we see here in the text, Jesus listens to the story. And, and then I love what he says to them. And this, this is the case. This is the case with the, the liberal or progressive, however they like to refer to themselves today. Those who claim to be Christians but don't really believe the Bible, don't believe in the supernatural, dismiss things like the virgin birth and, and the resurrection and so forth. What Jesus said to these men is what, applies to them as well. In verse 24, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? That's their problem. They didn't know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. Now they thought they knew the scriptures. And then Jesus just goes on, you know, they don't believe in a resurrection. Jesus says, what about the burning bush passage? How did God introduce himself to Moses? He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God implying that they're still alive. And so that's where Jesus showed him. You don't know the scriptures. You think your authority is on the scriptures. Now, another quick thing about the Sadducees, the only part of the Bible they actually believed or saw as legitimate were the first five books of Moses. So if you were a Pharisee and you were trying to dispute with them about the resurrection, you could only use the books of Moses. And they were convinced that in the books of Moses, there was nothing about a resurrection. Jesus said, oh, you don't really know the scriptures, do you? Because let me quote to you from Moses. And it was from Moses that he 
shut them down. So now, as this thing here happens, we read in verse 28, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? So here's a scribe and he's probably more of the Pharisaic party, but he hears the answer of Jesus and he thinks, wow, that was really good. This guy's sharp. And so he comes now with, with a question. And the context reveals that he's sincere. And Jesus even, you know, at the, at the end of the story, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom to him. But his question is, what is the, the first commandment? Or as Matthew puts it, what is the great commandment? What is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus quotes to him from, again, the books of Moses. He quotes to him from Deuteronomy. And this is what is known as the Shema. So here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then Jesus says, this is the first, this is the great commandment. And that's what I want us to zero in on today. We want to talk about this first and great commandment. But once again, let me just say, so this is known as the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word. It's the, it's the first word in the sentence here. It's the word hear or listen, O Israel. And so they've just taken the first word. And, you know, when you say Shema to a Jewish person, they know exactly what you're talking about because this is the Jewish statement of faith. So for a Jewish person, this is what they believe. They believe that there is one God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, and so forth. To this day, this is amongst Orthodox Jewish people, religious Jewish people. This is their statement of faith. Now, one just little quick side notes. Of course, the the irony and the tragedy with the Jewish people is they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They believe that God is just an absolute unity, just an absolute one. But you know what's amazing? In the Shema itself, where it says the Lord our God is one, the Hebrew word is not the word that means an absolute one, which there is a Hebrew word that means that. It is a word that means that the Lord our God is one as a, what you would call a compound unity. That the Lord of our God is one, but made up of more than one. So, but here looking at the Shema, looking at what Jesus said, this is the first, this is the great commandment. And in this command here in verses 29 and 30, we are told three things. We're told, number one, the duty of mankind. Secondly, we're told the measure of that duty. And thirdly, we're told the reason for that duty. And so those three things are what we're going to look at. What is the duty of mankind? Man, the duty of all people is to love God. That's what Jesus said. This is the first, this is the greatest command. Love God, paraphrasing, with everything in you. 
That, that's the first and the great command. Now, in the world at large, you, you could divide people up into three categories in relation to this command. First of all, you have people who would consider themselves God-haters. There, there are people that just, they hate God. They are very much out on a mission to disprove God's existence. They willfully and blatantly disregard and violate the command to love God. They go out of their way to mock him, to blaspheme him, and to ridicule not only God, but anyone who has faith in God. So there, there are people who are God haters. Then secondly, there are people who you might call them God neglectors. Uh, these people don't hate God, but they certainly don't love him. They rarely, if ever, even think of God. And I would say this is probably the majority of people. They're too busy either making a living or just trying to enjoy life. They can't be bothered with being concerned about whether there is or isn't a God. This, this is many, many people, in, especially in our Western context. And then you also have, and, and I'd say, you know, the ratio between the God-haters and the, the third category, the God-acknowledgers, is probably similar. You have people who just, you know, they're, they're willing to acknowledge that there's probably a supreme being, but that's about as far as it goes. You know, they might even have some admiration for the great designer behind the design and, and that sort of thing. They are people who would be defined as deist or theist. The difference between a deist and a theist is not, not a whole lot of difference, although there is a little bit. A deist sees God as having been involved at one time in the very beginning, just starting everything, putting everything in motion, and then completely disengaged from that point forward, where a theist sees God a little more involved. In the church, you have uh, people who you might call the interested. They're the spiritual inquirers. For them, religion can be a good thing. It can be positive. Uh, it helps balance out one's life. It's a good thing for your kids. You know, you want your kids to have some sort of a moral foundation, so you're going to take them to church. And, you know, might be something that will help you have a more positive attitude and, and even more success in your career. Those are the interested. They, people come to church. Then there's people that are the informed. They're kind of a step further. They know a little bit more. And yet for them, their faith is more in their head. It's not so much in their heart. They're content just to be a church member. The idea of having some intense love for God, that's not on their radar. They're, they're more just like, you know, yeah, I, I go to church. And they're cool with that. And, and then you, you might even have another category of people who are enlightened. People who actually have an interest in, a deep interest in spiritual things, a deep interest even maybe in theological things, and maybe even a deep interest in the Bible. They're passionate for the causes of Christ or what are perceived to be the causes of Christ, but not necessarily passionate for Christ himself. 
See, Christianity to them is a system of belief to be rigidly adhered to rather than a personal relationship with the living Savior to be enjoyed. But all of these fall short of the great command because the great command, as we see, is to be lovers of God. We're to be lovers of God and, and not God just in some vague sense. Of course, you know, people can say, oh man, I love God. And then you press them, okay, well, like who's God? Well, you know, just God. There's no real defining of who God is. So again, it's just the idea that, oh, I, I just, I love God, but there's so much ambiguity. We don't know who the God is that they're loving. The Bible says we're to love the Lord, our God, the, the one who created all things, the one who made us. And of course, Israel understood that. Hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one. And, and of course, here we have in the Old Testament text, we have the name Yahweh. That's who we're to love. We're to love the one God, the God who is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the command, to be lovers of God. Love implies a number of things. It implies emotion, but it also implies devotion, commitment, and obedience. So devotion, commitment, and obedience. See, obedience is a huge marker of a person's love for God. Now, oftentimes we hear people say, well, I love God, but they disregard his word. They ignore his word. They insist that they don't have to you know, submit to that word. They say, well, I don't really believe God said that, but oh, I really love God. Well, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The person who loves me shows it by keeping my commandments. The person who doesn't keep my commandments doesn't love me. And, and the commandments are... That's, he's generalizing there. It's, it's the command to, to love God and to believe in him. So that is our duty. Our duty is to love God. But the measure of that duty then, Jesus goes on to tell us that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love God, in other words, with our entire being. And, you know, Paul, when he would write the letters to the churches, he would say things like, whatever you do, do with all your heart as to the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here. Loving God with your heart, loving him with your soul, loving him with your mind, loving him with your strength. How do I do that? Just do whatever you do. Do it as unto the Lord. And that that then makes every aspect of life potentially an act of worship. Now, thirdly, we have the reason for our duty. Our duty is to love God and we're to love him with everything in us. And the reason for that is because as Jesus says here, he refers to the Lord as our God. It's because he is our God. He's your God. He's my God. And he's our God by number one creation. 
We talked about this a little bit recently when we were talking about the DNA and all of that, remember? But this is the truth. We exist because God made us. I'm standing here talking to you today and you're sitting here listening to me today because God allowed it to be so. He planned it to be so. He created every one of us. He created our bodies. He created our souls. He created the earth that we live upon. He created the air that we breathe and the, the food that we eat and you know, the water that we drink and just all that we have. We have because God created. And so it is a completely reasonable thing to have as our first duty as human beings to love God because if it were not for God, we would not have a life, period. We wouldn't exist. So we love him simply for the fact that he created us, but he didn't only create us, he redeemed us. The word redeemed means to buy back. And you know the story, God created humanity, but humanity mankind, Adam and Eve, sold themselves into slavery to sin by surrendering to Satan. What God did is he bought us back out of that slavery. That's what the word redeem means. And Peter tells us that we were not redeemed with perishable or corruptible things like silver and gold. Now, we put such a high value on especially gold. But that's not what God purchased us with. That wasn't enough. We were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from our ancestors, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Therefore, Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to him. And so Jesus says, this is the great command. And how do we do this? Well, it really starts with faith. The New Testament narrows it down or puts it under the category, kind of like Jesus does here. Jesus takes, and remember, he has a second commandment too that we read. These are the two great commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we come to the New Testament, John, in his defining the commandments, this is what he says. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. So in John's understanding of the great commandment, the great commandment is ultimately fulfilled in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I can't love God and not embrace his son. If I love God, I'm going to love his son. I'm going to embrace his son. So, you know, when a person says, well, I love God, I just don't need Jesus or don't care about Jesus or don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Well, that person doesn't love God. They love a, a, an image in their own mind that they've created, that they call God, but that's not who God really is. Because God, as we've seen, Yahweh, 
He is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how we love God, by believing in Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, God's spirit takes up residence in us. And now we're, we're no longer our own. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. We were bought with that price. So what do we do with our lives? We glorify God. We glorify him. We love him with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. And, you know, that sounds like a, a tall order, and it really is. And if it were left up to us, guess what? None of us could ever do it. No one has ever, with one exception, loved God entirely. And the one exception is Jesus. But everyone else, regardless of who it was, everyone else has, has fallen short of this requirement of loving God with everything in us. But because Jesus didn't, because Jesus actually did do it, then as we believe in him, his obedience to that is then put on our account. See, that's what the gospel is. We're all called to love God. We fail, we fall short. But Jesus loved God. And as we trust in him, that love that he has for God is put on our account. And God looks at our account and says, yep, they love me. And they love me because my son loves me and they trust my son. And that's how we fulfill this command. But now as we are believers, as we are those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, now because we're indwelt by the spirit, we have this power beyond ourselves in order to pursue this love for God. Now, I don't think I will ever in my lifetime love God perfectly with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I want to try. I want to pursue that. I want to seek that out and, and seek to please the Lord. But my relationship with him and my eternal destiny is not dependent on whether I attain to that or not. That's already taken care of because of what Jesus did. So you see, Jesus gives us the standing before God as though we do love God perfectly, but he also gives us the strength, the power through the spirit to actually do the command to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so as we look at our own lives, as we close today, and, you know, I, I would imagine we're all going to say, wow, I fall short of that. But here's the good news. All you do is say, Lord, you know I fall short of it. But Lord, I want to love you like this word says, would you help me? Would you strengthen me? Would you give me the grace and the power that I need? And guess what? God will. You know, Paul says an interesting thing when he writes to the Thessalonians. He says, may the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. How do we love God? The Lord directs our hearts into the love of God. That's amazing. In other words, Jesus helps us to love God. And so that's what we do. We just ask him, Lord, help, help me. Help me to love God the way you said we should when you said that this is the first and the great command.
month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. Everyone loves a story of an unlikely person overcoming insurmountable odds. And as Christians, we all want to be used by God in great ways. The story of Gladys Allward is the story of both. A woman who was rejected by the China Inland Mission due to being unfit and uneducated, but used greatly by God to reach the lost in China. A London Sparrow chronicles the Christ-led adventure of Gladys Allward's perilous and solitary journey from London to China through a war zone and prison. Be inspired by what God can do through a life that is surrendered to Him. We encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order a London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.